Hi, I'm Ellie, and this is episode three of Greatest Beats, where your favourite producers tell us the stories and memories behind their three most memorable tracks. This week, we welcome a versatile producer who made a name for themselves in the mid-2000s, rising to prominence in the UK hardcore scene. Since then, their popularity has continued to grow with releases across various labels and styles and with appearances at events worldwide. A fellow Scot, Greatest Beats is pleased to welcome Joey Riot. Your first song, I'm actually really glad you chose this song because if you hadn't chosen it, I would have whacked you the heat or something. (laughs) As we say in Scotland, because it's absolutely a song I thought you would choose. And it is The Power Within, which you did with Kelly C back in way back in the day. Why would you say you chose this one? Um, well, do you know what? When I chose the songs, um, I literally, I thought about it for a second. Well, the first time you messaged me and said about it, I, I thought I thought about it, but then I forgot what it was you asked, you asked me <laughs> what we were going to talk about. And then I asked you again over email. Um, and then I decided to just think about it straight away. And whatever popped into my head, you know, from I was trying to do it in a kind of chronological order of what's kind of happened in my career. Um, and the, the three songs just popped into my head. And, you know, for um, there, there is other big, big tracks, but I think, you know, in my early career, that was one that really um, helped propel me. And it's it was such a big tune for me. Even years later, I mean, I still get asked for it when I'm I'm turning up to plate sets, and I'm like, "What the tune that's like 18 years old? Do you want to hear that?" <laughs> um, you know, and I've done you know a couple of remixes, but I think it's a three remixes in total. Um, you know, to try and keep it fresh because you know people ju- people just love it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a real turning point for me in terms of my production as well. I felt like it was. As a producer, you're always second guessing yourself, and I guess at the particular time in that in the UK hardcore scene, um, you know there was a lot of producers I looked up to, and that was one of the, the first tunes that I really thought. Do you know what? I think I've I've kind of I've got this figured out a bit, you know. Um, I mean, fast forward now, the production's changed so much, you know, like the quality's went up through the roof. But you know, considering like my peers around about me, I thought it was. Um, it, it, you know, it, st- it stood up and, I mean, it stood the test of time, but like people still ask for it and, you know, you've even mentioned it yourself. So that's that's the big reason why I chose it. Plus it was a tune I just loved as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one that I remember so well from back in that time because it was when I started doing music mostly it was when I started doing vocals and stuff was around about the time mm. that was released and, and Kelly C was a huge inspiration to me so I oh, really? followed her career yeah she did um, a few tracks back at that same time right. and th- that one really stood out and it just reminds me of good times it reminds me of a lot of twisted club nights <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you used to do a lot of lethal theory nights in Glasgow and and yeah. that song is like an anthem for them in some sort of way. Do you, what are your memories of those nights and those times? 
very blurred. To be honest, <laughs> um, I mean, you, 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 it's weird because we have these, you have these kind of conversations, and you, you can just mention one thing and it spurs something else. Like you mentioned about Kelly singing on other stuff. Actually, I'd, I'd worked with her on a, a it was a remix I'd done for um, Nucleus who were doing a lot of um, albums and stuff at the time. And, you know, I was banging the tracks out. Um, you know, I, I do work pretty quick, as I'm sure you know. And um, I was rattling them out, you know, remixes after remix and tritching after tune. I think I'd, I'd already done a Hardcore Heaven 4 album, um, which, you know, charted and stuff like that. It was, you know, my first real bit of success. And then I'd done that track kind of off the, off the back of that. And I was getting a lot of remixes through, like I say, through Nucleus. And um, they they gave me this track with Kelly C on it, and I found out who she was. I got in touch with her, and I was like, "Do you want to do something, you know, original?" And um, yeah, that that track. I think I, I just laid down some piano chords and sent it to her. She came back with that awesome vocal, and then I wrote the rest of the track around about it. And it, it, I mean, it, it absolutely threw it together. It took about four hours or something, and the track was finished. And I was like, "Okay, that's done." Um, and as soon as I played it out, it just got an amazing reaction. And yeah, and it was a. Uh, you know, it's been part of my set for a long time. Like I say, I've had the, you know, done a remix in 2009. I'm trying to remember the date. I was even looking on Discogs there to see when I, I originally done it, um, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> I'm struggling to find. Um, but uh, the power within, let's see if I can find it. <laughs> I think is, it, it, it says on I don't even know when my song came out. <laughs> I think it was 2008, wasn't it? It came out. But I remember. No, it was it. well before that. It was yeah, long before see, that, I think. I think on Discogs will tell you that it's something like 2007, 2008. But I remember it earlier than that. I'm sure it's yeah. around about 2006 or something that I remember. Yeah, it from. I think it's about 2006. Um, yeah, that I'd done it. Uh, I mean, because this is the thing: it was it was finished for a while. I was playing it for a while before I released yeah. it, so I could have been playing it for over a year before I even seen the release on Lethal Theory, because it was you know back then with a the label as well our label it was um it was quite a, a long process to get stuff out even if you had you know you were really on the ball with releases and stuff like that it was all vinyl then so it was like you know you'd have to send it to the the, dis the distributor first of all we had a P&D deal which means press and distribution and so they'd have to okay it then it would have to go to a mastering engineer then it would go to the you know the and the vinyl plant and then it would get printed and then it would have to you know get in the shops and you know it was a lot quite a long process it could take months just for that um and then yeah i mean we had me and kurt had so much music getting made then it was like trying to figure out what was going to get released and i guess with, with that as well you had to play it out a lot to figure out when you were doing vinyl releases especially back then it's not a case of now you just finish a track you can just upload it and have it released the next day um, it was a case that you wanted to play it out and make sure because it's getting committed to vinyl it's a, it's a big commitment to a track you know there's a lot of money involved in the pressing and everything else and you know there's there's obviously there's a big company that's that's paying for the press and distribution and and they, they wanted to be sure also so we we would really kind of road test the tracks to death before we'd even commit to thinking this is going to be in the release schedule then i'd have to do the release schedule all the stuff that comes with it and decide when it comes out so yeah, I'm trying to remember like when it was probably around about 2006. I would say when it was when it was first made, maybe 2007 at a, at a stretch. But um, because yeah. it was 2009, I done another remix. Yeah, um, and the, what the re the remix that I remember of it is 2012. You did a power stomp remix. Oh yes, yeah, so there was really that one as well. So I <laughs> not tell like there was a sign unknown remix first. 
And then yeah. I'd done a, a, like an update version of it, like just kind of the more up-to-date Lethal Theory sound. It was really similar to the original mix, except it had new drums, and a, I think it had a new bass line as well, and just some new processing on the leads, but the leads were all the same and everything, uh, the melodies and stuff. And then, um, yeah, I'd done like a, a power stop mix, which was kind of threw together for a set of New Year's Eve. Um, so I don't know, I didn't even know if we released that one to be honest, but it's, yeah, mm. it's on like the back catalogue thing that I, that I sell, the USB plug plug. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, plenty it's, of plugs it's... in this show, I'll tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, it, you know, I think it's, well, it was one that really sort of pushed you, because that, around that time, 2006, 2007, 2008, is when your career really took off. I would say, I think maybe a little bit earlier than that. But that was around about the time that you started Lethal Theory, wasn't it? 2007 we started, that was when the first release came out. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were me and Kurt were both playing out, you know, loads of gigs before. But I mean, we're, I think it was like a 50 quid DJ, you know, maybe like 70 quid, 100 quid tops. And, you know, I was traveling <laughs> all over the country and, you know, skint as hell. And But, you know, I was doing a lot of shows and there was, you know, the scene was really vibrant back then, you know, and there was lots of big parties and tons of small parties came off the tail end of that. And, you know, me and him was the kind of the stars of the up and coming scene. You know, we got a, a lot of sets and, you know, I kind of built my career on the road from my performances and obviously the track tracks like that helped kind of propel me as well, you know, and working with other people and stuff like that, you know, getting big remixes and getting in the studio with other, other artists who were kind of bigger names than me. And that was something I always kind of tried to do. And um, yeah, the, I think you're right about the time. And that's when things started to really blow up um, for me. Um, like 2007, 8, I, I kind of I, I peaked as the UK hardcore scene peaked in 2009 10 i guess and you know personal off of the back back of that had a little bit of resurgence but um yeah i was kind of out you know there was a lot of hard work in there but there's a lot of luck as well you know making a type of music at the at the beginning of a movement you know and you don't because when i started making that stuff it was, it was some big parties you know there was slam and vinyl were doing um, like the Sanctuary in Milton Keynes but there wasn't like the, the scene round about it HDID wasn't a thing yet you know there was I remember talking to Hixie about that before it even started and he, this is this is how long ago it was he was actually going to book me to be an MC at it um, oh, because wow. he had MC'd for him in Glasgow and he was like oh I'm starting this party called HDID I'd love to book you to be an MC and I'm like yeah cool I was like a DJ as well by the way <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was a really exciting time and just to kind of ride that crest of a wave as things got bigger i was kind of there at a really you know a, you know a good time both me and kurt and we kind of we kind of grew as the uk hardcore scene you know exploded in the early 2000s through the mid 2000s and the late noughties i guess but yeah it was yeah. it was a mad time it certainly was and you played a lot of events in scotland as well lineups like colors fest and back to future and yep. things like that. and you had this massive massive career <clears throat> and it was where you really started but you as a musician started earlier than that and uh, my first memory of you <coughs> was definitely as you said as mc riot and you oh, were yeah. with tlm back in the yes. day the very that's we're going way back now <laughs> we're going old yeah. school so, <laughs> yeah 90s yeah yeah, so well, see, it wasn't the 90s for me. I think it was around about 2004, 2005. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we've been going a long time. Yeah, I mean, we st I started doing that in 1994. Um, 
And obviously we were terrible, you know, <laughs> we were terrible, but we just loved it. You know, there was no, there was nobody around about uh, where we grew up and with these burning outskirts of Glasgow that done that kind of thing. We used to, you know, go to raves in town and, you know, and further afield and, and see all this stuff happening. We didn't know anybody that had decks, you know, we didn't know any MCs, we didn't know any DJs. So like my mate got a set of decks and by default I was the MC because, you know, but we were, we'd both been buying records for a couple of years. So we had that collection of records and then his big brother bought him a set of decks and it was like, oh, game on. Um, that was in, I think, the, the New Year's Eve of, it was New Year's Eve day, got these decks on ni- in 1994, and we put on our first event in the March, so three months later we were on stage and we'd sold out a local community centre, and that's how it kind of started, um, you know, and I was, you know, just a kid, and MC in front of you. I was. It was funny because we used to like all our all my schoolmates, like who was doing the the event. Because nobody buy a ticket off of me. I wasn't like popular <laughs> or anything like that, really. You know. So I was wow. like, uh, I was just fibbing to people, saying like, you know, oh, there's this amazing Raven Moody's burn. They're like, who's MC Riot and DJ Defiance? I was like, oh, there's these big DJs for the tune. So people were all <laughs> buying tickets, and, and then we sold it out. And I was like, shit, I need to go on stage in front of all these people. <laughs> like, <laughs> felt like a pure charlatan, and I was I was really shy back then. You might not think it now, but I was like a chronically shy kid and um I, you know I was a big mouth about, about my mates but anybody knew came in that circle I would you know I'd absolutely hush up and I remember I just seen outside how many people were there and I was about 250 people in this wee community hall and I was like I can't go out there and my, my mate's big brother who'd uh, bought bought him the decks and paid for all the sound and lighting and everything like that he was just threatened me he's like I'll kick your head in if you don't go out and I was like <laughs> Because he'd spent all that money and I was more terrified than him than I was uh, oh, everybody there. So I, I went out, uh-huh. grabbed the microphone, said a cut. I can't even remember what I said, but I got a great reaction straight away. And that was it. I changed like like that instantly. And I can remember coming home and my mum saying, where's my where's my son gone? Because she just didn't recognise me anymore. Like my whole, I had this confidence that I'd never had through my childhood. And, you know, my early teens that I'd just gained through this one moment of kind of acceptance, you know, my a large amount of peers, which was which was an amazing form of moment in my life. And yeah, I've been an absolute pain in the ass ever since. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, I have to say, it's quite amazing to hear that you are so shy because you are, you have this amazing stage presence whenever I've seen you live. And I think everyone would agree that you really do have this stage presence where you just look like you're enjoying yourself on stage. And I think that that's good to watch. I think that's fun. It makes it makes the crowd want to join in and be like, yes, it's just part of your persona, part of who you are. And it is, it's mad to hear you say that you were so quiet when you were young. But I also remember years ago you telling me that hardcore music was something that you found could be a release. That was something like, I think what a lot of young people probably feel <laughs> with hardcore music, a lot of people find that hardcore is this release to... Totally. I, yeah, to, to, to 100%. sort of let go. I mean, I wasn't called Riot for nothing, you know. It was, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I was a wee terror, and I guess we, we were all... It was, you know, the west of Scotland is a, a, a tough place to grow up, and, um, you know, gang violence and just, you know, like, you, you don't walk into other areas and stuff like that without, you know, the threat of something, you know, nasty happening. And that's kind of how I grew up. And I was I was a wee shy wallflower, but you had to have this air of toughness to just survive because if you, if you looked weak, then you would get picked on. So, you know, I had... 
I had a, a wee attitude on me and the, the music, it, it, it's such a cliche, but it really saved my life, you know, just from the release that you get from, uh, you know, dancing to it and, you know, and trying to make it and, you know, writing raps and just this community thing that builds up with your friends, having something to do that's constructive rather than, you know, go smash Wendy's or get a chase or something like that or get in a fight, you know, that, that whole side <laughs> of it was great. But when I started going to parties as well, like the very first rave I went to and, I think it was 94 in the Barrowlands and um, I bumped into someone and I, I you know, I got, I, I was really worried because I'd been to some dance, you know, the dancing in the town where it was like under 18s <laughs> and stuff and everybody was trying to plug each other, you know, it was mental. Um, you know, just different areas of the town or like in this corner of the club, all just, you know, throwing stuff at each other. It was really, you know, intimidating atmosphere, especially for a, you know, young teenage boy. And I was tiny as a kid as well, you know, I was an absolute midget. So I was, you know, I was <laughs> scared, but I'd always like, you know, give it my all to get in amongst it. But um, then like I bumped into this guy and I was like, you know, freeze frame ready to, you know, go fisticuffs and he put his arm around me and he bought me a drink and he was just like, ah. and I was telling him like, you know what I'm telling you now, like how I felt about, and he's like, it's not like that, it raves me, man, you know, and um, we talked together, I can't remember his name, but we spoke together for years, he gave me some glow sticks and stuff like that and I was just like, man, this is home, this is like, this is what I've been looking for, like, I didn't know anything like that existed, you know, just because of how I grew up and I was like, it was just the the thing I needed and it was just a, a, a absolutely hooked me in and I was like, right, okay. And even when, you know, you talked about like my performances on stage and stuff, like when, before I got on stage, I've acted like that in the rave, you know, so I would like be down the fr first in the party or be right down the front and I would be like facing the crowd, like telling people, ah, come on everybody. I'd be the guy that organised coaches, you know, I'd be dragging on my mates there. I was like the kind of, the, the, you know, the moth to the flame that got everybody together because I was like, I loved it so much that I wanted everybody else to experience the, the passion I had for it so I was you know even if it was 10 people at a rave I'd be going mental and trying to get everybody into it so that kind of just when I got on the stage it was literally just taking a couple of steps back off of the dance floor and on the stage and I was just the same person you know nothing really changed and obviously I kind of you fine-tuned that a bit and you know I grew up watching like performers like Freddie Mercury and you know all these Michael Jackson and all these kind of people who were real and I used to watch that and just be what mesmerized how these people like Freddie Mercury was a big goofy idiot looking but he was so <laughs> I was transfixed by his just his stage presence was absolutely you know it mesmerized me how somebody who he just didn't care how he looked or how, but he's still he's still the coolest guy in earth on that stage and i was like man like that's you know all the little insecurities you have as a kid growing up and stuff you know like say i was small i was shy all those kind of things i was like it doesn't matter you know I can, if i can get on that stage i can become this person i always wanted to be so it was like almost like you know, becoming like a su the superhero version of yourself. Um, and, it, you know, it took a bit of transition to become like more confident. Like, like the, the young me couldn't have sat and done this, for instance, you know, like just yeah. sit and have a conversation about that, about this kind of stuff. And, but it, it's transformative. And, you know, I think with any, anybody who is scared of doing anything in their life, um, just face the fear and get in there. Because what's the worst that can happen, you know? Um, like, you, you know, you, you, you might fail. So what? Get back up and do it again. And when you conquer those, you know, huge obstacles, because that 
you know, that I don't think people realize how much an obstacle that was for me when they see how I act now. Like when I was young and it was literally, literally the threat. If my mate's big brother hadn't threatened me with the pain of death, like I wouldn't have been on that stage <laughs> and I wouldn't be sitting here now. And I'm, I'm not even kidding. It was that, it was that, it was that terrified. <laughs> so, so thank you, Robert Grant, um, for, for, yeah, scaring the shit out of me when I was a teenager. So, um, yeah, because I, I wouldn't have my career now for him. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually really amazing to hear that. How it's, inspirational I think for people who maybe do feel that they want to do this but there are things and barriers that are in their way and it's good to hear you say actually you know nothing's stopping you you just have to go for it and you know what's you're the stopping worst you, you're the only person that stops you because yeah. you know there will, there will be barriers and there might be something that gets in the way but ultimately you can either like smash through them like I've done in my career or you can just navigate around them like ultimately you know if you if you've got a goal you have to find a way to get to that goal and I was actually talking to somebody yesterday, I think maybe Alex Prospect, and we were talking, I was talking about how, you know, the time and mean cut broke through and, it was notoriously difficult. If you look at that time period, for instance, who what DJs did break through in UK hardcore, you know, there was me and Kurt, there was maybe Gamma, um, Recon, then after that, like Squaddy and um and Club Filler, and then you've got some of the Lethal Theory guys coming through a bit after that. But anybody that kind of I'm talking to get to that really kind of top level, you know. Um and all the, uh, you know, with no disrespect to all the guys, but a lot of the guys get a lot of help coming through, you know, they had other bigger DJs, you know, and labels who were like getting them on board and giving them the push. Whereas we had nobody, we had zero people helping us. In fact, we had, you know, I've spoke to a lot of the, the big promoters and DJs who, you know, made a lot of peace with since, but they've, they'd seen me, I mean, Gamma done an interview in Vice and he, t- he said that all of those guys seen me as a threat. And I was like, what? You know, it was it was weird because I was just this wee wide old Scottish guy who just said whatever was on his mind and didn't give a flying peep. And you know, <laughs> and I was I was a threat because you know they they were it was just cut from a different cloth. Um, although we all you know we're all great pals now, um, I can understand why because I was real rough and ready and I was still a raver as well because I would finish my set and I would go straight onto the dance floor, and then I would head to whatever after party was happening and sit in the kitchen all night. <laughs> so that was that was me. Um, but obviously that got to a stage where you know you get a bit more successful and you know as much as I, I love spending time with the fans and getting pictures and you know I've got time for everybody um it can when you want to just have a dance on the dance floor that would got impossible at some stages because you know every two seconds oh, I can't get a picture and I'm you know it's fine but then I'm like well now I can't rave I need to go to some other party <laughs> to have a an actual rave and I can only do it for that hour on stage and you know for somebody who, who does love the music and the whole the whole you know splendor and everything so much that was um yeah, that was that was the only sore thing for me that I couldn't do that anymore, is to the yeah. to the degree I did, you know. Because I do remember you being like just a party animal. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to describe you. Really, you've always Solo been that one. And yeah, and I remember as well, you did Dance Nation as well with Bass Hunter, and you you did yeah. the more commercial side of things. Um, that's right. And you just you seem to enjoy all that as well. You're you're very versatile with your music. You don't just stick to one particular genre. You enjoy it all, and that really shows in everything you do, and just your love for the scene in general i think trying loads of different things is really important even if you're you're only really successful in one because all the things skills and things you learn i mean you mentioned about being on tour with ministry of sound and bass hunt and people like that like that was a completely di- different thing you know being like on a proper tour where you're on a tour bus and you're you're doing it every day of the week and you've got a different town a different crowd every night and you know for for me going on stage like none of those people like i was a support act nobody had heard of me um and me 
and Mike Enemy had put together this little show that we'd, we'd put together, you know, we really we refined it and practiced it and it was, you know, obviously a bit more commercial. We had like house and, you know, chance and bounce stuff in there and and we smashed it every night and for the the first day, the only person that spoke to us on the first day was Bass Hunter, who's the biggest guy. Like, you know, all the dancers, all the other artists, you know, turned to look at us, just like, mm, who are these guys, you know? And then by the, the end of the first night, like, we were everybody's best pal. Um, and it was just crazy, you know, like say partying every night, driving all day, and then on stage again, and then party straight after it. It was absolutely insane. But I had the I had the age on my side then; I could handle it. Whereas now, pff, no chance, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And something else you told me around that time is was how you wanted to keep on going forward and keep on just doing more and more and achieve all the ambitions that you wanted to achieve and that leads us quite nicely onto the second track you've chosen oh, and yeah. that is it's destructive tendencies skull dynasty <laughs> it's the Masters of Hardcore Anthem for 2017. I remember you saying that this was your your goal. And so this song, when I saw this song, I was like, he's done it. Well done. Because you said to me when I went to Northampton once, which is where you live now, I really want to do well in Dutch hardcore. Gabba, yep. you had said that was an ambition of yours to take it to the next level and to continue to do more and more. And when I saw that you got this song, I was like, yes, that's yeah. <laughs> it was, though, that, It's a big reason why I chose that one because there's there's a lot of big destructive tendencies tracks and, you know, I was, I was speaking to my missus about this and she said, why didn't you choose Sound Becomes One, which is, you know, probably the biggest track we've done. But this was, uh, you know, we'd done with Partraiser, you know, it's had, it was a, such a huge track for us and, you know, there's people we had tattooed, literally hundreds of people with tattooed on them, the lyrics and stuff. Uh, but this one was, you've hit the nail on the head, it was like a, a milestone, it was a, it was something I wanted to achieve when I start, start, we started doing Destructive Tendencies, I was like, there's no messing about here, like, you know, we're going to go from completely unknown to, I want to play Dominator main stage, which is the biggest festival, I want to play Massive Hardcore main stage, I want to do the Massive hardcore anthem i want to be signed to masters of hardcore the biggest label um and you know within about five or six years we'd we'd done all of that um which seems like a pretty quick time uh, you know quick amount of time but I mean, you know i had been doing stuff since 1994 so you know it's becoming that overnight success you know it takes a long long time and even the stuff i learned how to navigate the uk scene even just in terms of the politics and everything else and how difficult it was to to come through you know, I had this kind of, this real, because it, it's like build, playing guitar or something, you build up calluses on your finger. You kind of do that with your attitude. The more knockbacks you get and the more bullshit you get thrown your way, you, you get tougher uh, or, or you crumble. Yeah. And, you know, I've I've always took any failure as, you know, something I can learn from and also use it as fuel. You know, when people say you can't do something, I'm just like, oh, what a bit. So, you know, I'm a bit Marty <laughs> McFly like that when somebody says chicken, I'm like, ah, chicken is it? Oh, you know. And then I go double hearted. <laughs> identify with that it's easy to take that as a negative emotion and you do it first you know when that happens and i think it's important to to feel the pain of stuff like that but then like turn it around and not like you know try and ruin somebody else's career or you know or bitch about them and that kind of stuff just i think you you know i spoke to a couple of people about this recently like the best revenge is success and and you know and, and making your career the way you want it to be rather than you know trying to you know bring down somebody else and you know the uk is notorious for bringing down people that do well for themselves and you know i think you know, it doesn't matter how you get there. Like, good luck to you. Like, I can't, I can't 
can't control what anybody else does. So I can only control my destiny. And, you know, be the masters of hardcore thing. I remember when we had we'd we'd been signed to hardcore blasters, we were also signed to Megrave before that and you know we're slowly kind of building up and when we signed to hardcore blasters we could put onto the most wanted um uh, agency which was part of the Art of Dance family and Master of Hardcore and stuff. So we've seen it as a kind of stepping stone and you know as uh we've done a released an album on um hardcore blasters and after that and you know the success we were having playing in Europe and stuff, you know, Masters of Hardcore came sniffing about. Um, which was great but we had to wait till our contract kind of finished because it was pretty iron contract we couldn't get out of it and it was just the we went and had a meeting and I had a big list of stuff I wanted from them like and, you know Mick and Danny was working with at the time and they were just like maybe this is you know we shouldn't be we should just be like thankful and I'm like no no like if I'm signing with these guys I want this 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 and this because if they're coming to us at this stage like there's a reason they are because and I knew what we had achieved already so you know I, I was like I said to them I want to play dominate main stage. I want to play massive hardcore main stage. I was like, I want to do the, the you know the next massive hardcore anthem, and you know the head the head guy there was just like, yep, 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 yep to everything I said, <laughs> and I was like, um, well, I've got all these reasons why you should do it because I was expecting you to say no, and he's like. Well, I said yeah, and I was like, "Can I read them out anyway?" And he was like, "Yeah, you want. so I was like, "Well, so you better do it because of this." He's like, "Still yes, still yes." So um, that you know, doing that that anthem was a big deal, and I, you know, it was even at the time when we done it, and it, it's quite a it was quite a controversial track at the time because we got a lot of stick for it because it was really different from some of the mainstream hardcore or some of the usual anthems you know like some of the kick drum drops we've done and stuff these minimal kind of techie kicks and stuff and especially on the second drop like nobody was really doing anything like that and um when we'd done it you know pe- you know fast forward the year everybody was doing it so it was like i, I was trying to kind of incorporate again from all the different styles i do you know listening to trans techno you know hardstyle everything and I was trying to bring something fresh to it while keeping him with the, the kind of original vibe. And um, we did get a lot of stick online for it, which, uh, you know, we get told by, you know, the head of the label, like, don't worry, everybody gets stick for it every year because most of the people that give you stick don't actually go to the event. <laughs> and then turning up at the party itself and playing it on the main stage and everybody was like, you know, shouting the melody back to us. It was like, you know, it was real vindication. And there was a member just standing on stage at that point thinking, yeah, this is it, man. It's all downhill for here. <laughs> <laughs> not so, not so. I think I think it, it's only up from here, to be honest. And when I saw that, I was so proud of you because I thought, yeah, it did it. It's that visualization idea, isn't it? It's that whole idea of like if you visualize it, it'll happen. And I, I just, but I was like, wow, he absolutely. It said, is a lot of that. Yeah, I think I think yeah. that's important with any goals is to is to really visualize them because that's you know it's, when you're starting a project, for instance, we started doing DT. Sure, I'd made a big career as Joy Ride, but I felt like I'd hit a ceiling with it, and I was like, well, where else do I go? You know, the UK hardcore scene was wearing power stomp, but kind of it was you know a, a sub genre at best, and you know it couldn't really didn't have the legs to 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 really kind of build as a as a genre of music and you know UK scene was so insular and nobody else outside there really kind of listened to it or get into it or you know or and it was called UK hardcore as well it was like yeah. why would someone from China want to make UK hardcore you know it's so there was a lot of problems yeah. with it yeah but you know with the European hardcore I was always a fan of it for, for uh, you know being a kid in the 90s and all the Dutch DJs coming over to Resurrection and stuff like that and I always wanted to make it I just couldn't it was too hard like you know a lot of people think it's just a racket but to make that racket is 
extremely difficult, you know, with distortion and, and you know, all the all the techniques that come into play is really, really hard. You know, I thought this is going to be easy and I sat down to do it. It took me about two years to make a, my first decent kick drum, which is, which is mental. You know, I can make them in about an hour now and, you know, I used to take like a year to make a kick drum, which is which and it was still crap. So... <laughs> you know, it was it was, a, it was a really big learning curve, and so to kind of to when you look at you know, when you're at a starting point, you know, Mick and Danny used to come down and make tracks with me, um, and you know it was just engineering days for them. They would come down and and make a track, and before we even thought about destructive tendencies, and they were happy from to pay me kind of make gabber if you will badly um but i was like they knew i wanted to kind of really make it and figure it out so you know and they seen the drive and determination and maybe the skills that i dad did have that could get to that stage and they were running events up in manchester so they did contacts for all the djs you know they were booking them which was like i'm like that's that's the you know i reckon i'll be able to figure out the music eventually and if i've got the people to then hand it to that's that. That's all I need because you know, it's it, people say, oh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's both. It's fucking both. Simple as that. You need to be good at networking, and you have to be good at what you do. And if you don't do both, you need to either find a manager that can do that side for you, or you know, or vice versa. Find a good ghost producer if you're good at ne- networking. Like it doesn't matter. You know, find somebody that can either do it or figure it out yourself. And you know, um, I've always been good at the networking side. As I'm a gab at hell, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> I've had people people around about me, like Mick and Danny were great at that side as well. They were like I said, they were doing events. So once we got the sound right, it was it was relatively easy then and it was in terms of being able to get people to listen to it and saying, That's good, that's not and and because we'd built these relationships from the parties as well, like, you know, go we go to any raves that we played at even once we weren't playing it, and I've always done this as well, is like try and get hanging out backstage with the other DJs or and the promoters, and you know, and just just chat to them, just be a person, you know, have fun, and you know, so many like the collabs that we've done, the big collabs, like working with Angerfest, the Tweakers, all these people, that, you know, I've worked with these amazing artists. It's all came from being pissed backstage and just chatting shite, and then him eventually going, ah, oh, you're mental. Do you want to do a tune? And I'm like, aye, <laughs> and that's pretty yeah. much how you know. Nine 99% of my collabs have happened because I've just connected when I'm on a human level. I've not like pissed them like, oh, we're going to do a tune, might do a tune. You know, I've just connected with people on a human level and then that's just came naturally because they want to hang out. And, you know, it's, and I know that's difficult for some people. They're not very personable or they, they maybe struggle in social situations. But that's something that can be learned as well. If, you know, rewind to the back to start of this interview, I was the wee, shy, nervous guy who couldn't chat to anybody and it took a long time. It wasn't just a case of just going on stage and getting confidence from that, you know. I've done a lot of self-help stuff, you know, I've researched about confidence, even just like down to the thing, like act confident, just pretend, like it's just, it's just act it, like even if you don't feel, because a lot of times I don't feel like going on stage and I call it the joy right switch, I just, I'm, I either feel like that or I don't and I just flick this switch where I act like it and then what happens is I'm acting like it enough that I end up just being it because I'm have, because I'm making other people have a good time and I just, just have a good time as a consequence and then I just fall into the natural state of of being joy right. So that's kind of a wee bit of advice as well for people is just, you know, fake it till you make it basically. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I have to say that's probably a lot like what I've done over the years with the, like you said about, you know, just getting to know people and just networking. Mm-hmm. And it is so important to do that rather than just sitting and thinking oh maybe it'll come to me it's it is very much going out and just 
meeting people and talking yeah. because you know it is the way forward and you would never know that you have any confidence that's just to be fair because you are so confident <laughs> and on stage and you have this whole persona um so yeah you're, you're doing really well and I'm I'm so proud that you managed with this song to get that because that was it, you, it's I just remember you saying how much you wanted it and it's amazing to see how much destructive tendencies grew and grew and became this big thing you're actually this is your last year is that right are you yeah. retiring is it well, yeah. we're retiring the whole act. Yeah, it ended up just me and Mick doing it for the last, you know, f- four years or something. Danny left first of all, and then it was just me and Mick. And we were the driving force behind it anyway. And then, you know, um, when lockdown came, uh, you know, there was a lot of... Everybody asked a lot of questions themselves, like what they were doing in their life. And it was... It was tough. It was a tough times, but it was also... I mean, ultimately, it was it was kind of good for, for us because, you know... Um, the October before it, um, before lockdown, I had a real breakdown, um, you know, where I just, the, the pressure of everything just got too much. Like I was doing too many projects. I was doing Destructive Tendencies, Minus the Crown, Running Lethal Theory. I was trying to be Joey Riot. I was, um, I was doing loads of ghost producing, engineering for people, you know, um, I was teaching at a school. Um, I was running an event called Religion. There was just so many things. I'm getting dragged from pillar to post, but all these people who were needing, you know, a bit of joy and, you know, um, I just spread myself too thin. It was, you know, a lot of it's my own fault. And I can't, you know, I've not been able to say no to people. Um, You know, when you came chatting, I'm like, I I need bother. And I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm not joking. (laughs) But I just, you know, that I can't, you know, I like to help. I I think it's it's good to help out and it's good to, you know, not for selfish reasons, but I I somewhat believe in karma per se, you know, not as a, a spiritual force, but I do think if you do good things for people, it was just nice to be nice for a start. Um and then, you know, you might have something you know come down the line ten years later or something just because, you know, you help someone at a certain point in your life. And I think that's a really important thing to do. But you know, with DT when it got to lockdown, you know, Mick had um he he's had two children through lockdown for a start and he'd already had had a son and he was like you know he was on the road most of the time his first son was a kid and he, you know when he had his other kids he was just like I realised how much time he, he spent away from them which is you know completely understandable and he was like I don't want to do this with these ones you know and um and also like I was really questioning the, the musical direction I wasn't happy with the way the whole scene was going in general musically um. There was a bunch of bunch of stuff I wasn't really happy with, and I was trying trying to make a lot of changes to how the DT sound and everything else. And then when it came to that crunch crunch point, we got offered a new five year deal with Masters of Hardcore. We had a meeting with them, and they were like, "So are you signing?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm quitting." And they were like, "What?" You know, wow. they were they were really shocked, and I was just like, "It's no disrespect or anything, like, but I, you know, I'd start I'd done the." the power stomp three album is a kickstarter and it was always we a plan of that was just a kind of one off and then you know i was going to continue the indestructive tendency stuff but you know as, as things kind of moved on kind of organically like i had you know a, a new agency come out of the, the woodwork looking looking to sign me who was you know it's headhunters agency independent artists you know a really huge agency and you know, i had a meeting with them and they were saying, you know, uh, we want to sign you. And I was just like, I couldn't fathom why. And I was like, you know, <laughs> um, because at first I was like, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do going forward. I was like, to doing what? Like, what do you want to sign me as? Like, Destructive Tendencies? Because that was, you know, obviously much bigger than Joey Riot ever was. And they were like, no, it's Joey Riot. You know, you want you to do, like, whatever you want, basically. And, you know, kind of, uh, you spoke about this in this interview. Like, I, I love 
doing all types of music and I hate being pigeonholed and UK hardcore pigeonholed me, pigeonholed me destructive te- yeah. tendencies pigeonholed me and you know I finally feel like not just you know the agency believing in me that I could do anything that I wanted but also like just dance floors are being are a bit more open-minded it's almost went full circle back to like early rave where you could get away with playing everything like in the 90s I used to go to resurrection it'd be drum and bass house techno trance also you know hardcore everything all in the one under the one roof and people just danced if it was a good track and that's all that mattered whereas it was all this elitism and, and musical snobbery and purists you know it has to be this certain thing in a certain box and i think that's a big reason why a lot of scenes collapse they become these monolithic structures that get smaller and smaller and smaller in terms of what the you know the 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 appeal is and then it just they topple over eventually you know and then it goes back to square one where it's like everything's on the cards and i'm like well this is again i feel like i'm i'm at a another where was it the start of my career is joey right where i'm like i'm at the cusp of something sure there's a bigger global harder edm scene going on but like for me personally i'm the most excited i've ever been about music because you know i'm writing just stuff that i've that i love there's not a there's not a record label saying like we have to write another 200 bpm hardcore banger i'm just like i'm just doing to switch on the studio and write whatever the frick i feel like you know um and that's yeah. it's really liberating and you know i'm doing a new album um for for uh, a kickstarter project plug plug um and yeah. you know that's 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 over the halfway mark today which i'm really chuffed about <laughs> you see my video today did you <laughs> yeah, i saw the video and Hi. i was sitting i was sitting at co- i got college and i was at college today and i was howling <laughs> with laughter and people are like you okay and i was like oh it's so funny <laughs> if you haven't seen that go to joey's um facebook and you'll see it right from yes, the center yes. facebook.com really forward slash joey right fan page if you want to check it out but yeah that's that's went over the halfway point and the tracks have already started writing for that album there's like there's no uh, blueprint to like sitting down to them and it's like i say it's really liberating and it's the first time in years that i've really really enjoyed it's the last few years of dt i didn't i didn't enjoy it any of it like even when i was earning the most money i'd ever made in my career i was like i was miserable in the, during the week it's mad to think that because people think oh you know you've got this you've got that but you know i was really I've, I've been so over consumed by trying to be successful in my career that i've forgot to connect with the people around about me the people that actually really care about me you know which is yeah. much to my detriment because I, I was trying to fill a big hole in my life with success you know all the stuff that had happened in my my younger years that had left my head a bit you know turn upside down i'm like mm. as long as i get if i get successful and everybody likes me i'll be happy um uh, you know and i'd be stood yeah. in front of forty thousand people and then go home and have a cry into my cereal you know so i've actually been saying that for a while that i feel like there's not a lot said about mental health in this scene no. um that maybe does need to be spoken about i think because a lot of time you are it is very much a, oh i want everyone to like me this everything will be fine when everyone likes me and i've got this song and and you people come up to you at the weekends and it's like oh picture 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 yeah it's praise, such praise, false praise. economy then, because the, yeah. the happiness you get it's a, it's like a short buzz it's like a drug you get a short hit of something and then it's the come down after it because you could be stood in front of that and on that because i think about that this is this is my basic life it's a bit different now i've got a lot of perspective after lockdown but my basic life was sitting your own all week completely on your own in a wee that room making loud loud noises and then be thrust into the public where there's 
there's thousands upon thousands, you know, tens of thousands of people in front of you, and you know they're all chanting your name and loving you. And when you come off a stage, they're all telling you how amazing you are, how you've changed your life, showing you tattoos. I've had my face tattooed in people's arms, but I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. like that's terrifying, you know, like that. Can, but that, you know, that level of you know that love that they have for because of what you do for them. But then you go, you get in the tra- artist transfer, and it's all switched off like that. So you get this influx of love, and then it's all taken away. And if you don't have those connections back at home, you get home, you know, you've alienated the people that you care about because you're just all consumed by this success and you're 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 alone as hell and it's horrible yeah. because it's that big suck away here, here's everybody that loves you, and then that's getting taken away and you're just like, oh <laughs> it's um yeah, it's, that, it, it's, it's, it's overwhelming, sorry, man. It's, oh yeah, it's, it's absolutely really good to hear you say that because I feel that something that is sort of unspoken in this scene in the sense that you do have all that excitement and then on the Monday morning it's back to reality it's that Clark you stood in your pants doing the dishes crying your eyes out no it's not a good look you know and (laughs) people only ever talk your pals are at work and doing normal things and you know you don't get to like I've I've, you know through the amount of like weddings funerals birthdays and really important milestones in in friends and family's lives that I've missed because I'm like and this is the weird thing I've just said I can't do it I've got a gig and they're all like cool and the fact that they've even stuck about through all that time and I've still got people that care about me I I find it just unbelievable because I would have told me fuck off years ago um so i'm very very thankful and lucky that i've got some really good mates and you know when i did have that bit of meltdown in october like you know some of my really good friends were were just there like that you know i hadn't spoke to them properly in years but that's the thing about good pals you you don't know life moves on for people and you go in different directions but if you really need somebody and that's why it's it's really important to connect with people you know no matter what you're doing whether you're a dj or you're just in a normal thing of life like make sure you're connecting with your pals you know pick up that phone because you don't know who's who's suffering on the other end you know and i think again you know talk about the mental health thing this the whole west of scotland mentality it's this tough guy act that you have to you know i said about you know when i was a a kid i was a wee sense of nervous shy kid but i had to put on this tough guy act because of the environment i lived in and that was a that was false that wasn't me so i became this fake person to you know you know laughing at large jokes and being a you know a bit of geezer and all that and it's just i've never been that so being able to like grow up and just settle in my skin you know be able to do a video and wear a dress and no gear crap like that's (laughs) it's liberating man like you know just being able to just no care and you know that's and and be able to talk about this kind of stuff without you know feeling that you're you know getting upset or self-conscious you know i'm happy to say that you know that you know i've went through tough times because it i don't know i think people can connect with that more they're like it's just normal he's just one of us and that's i kind of been up a, a lot in my appeal as a dj over the years uh, you know, uh, one of my mates said back in the days, like, ah, you're the people's DJ. That's why people vote for you yeah. in the awards. He's like, you're the people's DJ. You're not, it's not like us and them. You're like, you're one of us. And I was like, well, that's good because that's what I want. I don't want people to, you know, <laughs> I had a great conversation with a guy at Hardcore Heaven Weekender who was, you know, just, he was, you know, singing my praises and he was getting really worked up and his missus was like, calm down and he couldn't find his words and everything. And it was really sweet, you know. Um, but I was like to him, listen, mate, calm down, take a second. I was like, what do you do for a job? He's like, oh, I'm just a joiner. I was like, just a joiner, right? I'm just a DJ. I was like, all I do is make tunes, play them out the weekend. I was like, granted, there's, you know, loads of people here and they're all chanting my name and everything else I was in. But think of this, here's an analogy for you. It's zombie apocalypse, right? There's a hundred of us and we're in this wee compound 
and we're going through everybody like, what do you do, right? He's a joiner, right? He can build a fence to keep the zombies out. What about him? He's a cook, right? He can cook, you know, zombie brains for us for dinner. What about him, DJ? Feed him <laughs> to the zombies. Like, what am I going to do in real, the real world? I'm useless. I'm absolutely useless. And I can't do anything else apart from make music and, you know, and talk shit. I'm, I'm rubbish at everything else. So when it comes down to it and, you know, the internet fails and the solar flare knocks out all our electricity, I'm gubbed. So, you know, be thankful for the small mercies, man. <laughs> yeah that's that's really wise words i think as well it's, it's very true and it's so important that you talk about these things and someone of your stature talks about these things because it is that unwritten thing in it so on to your next track that you chose which is prime time (laughs) players and don't know how to make you happy now this song is epic and it's you basically created the swedish house mafia of uk hardcore (laughs) (laughs) that was the plan i was the plan do you know that was what I wanted to do because it was again it was another I've always tried to reinvent myself um, and you know in those about me you know I've done I've had several different you know aliases and you know groups and things I've been part of you know from TLM days through to you know primetime players destructive tendencies minds at crown loads of other stuff that never ever got off the ground as well this is the thing like not everything I've done has been a success a lot of them have been fucking huge failures you know but it's about like learning you know from the failures and what could what could work you know and the idea was always to do like some I remember it was Swedish House Mafia were smashing it and I was like you know, we I could do something like that. You know, like pull together some other artists, and you know, I did ask a bunch, and you know, it got it got to the stage where it, it kind of focused on me, Club Filler, and Alex Prospect, who were the only kind of real driving forces behind making anything happen. Um, and actually, that track, I chose that one. I chose all of these ones because I, I like engineered every single bit of them myself. As much as that was a part of the Prime Time Players Act, I made it on my own. And I made it with yeah. a, a view to, like, us making it together. But because I I was just loving where it was going, I ended up finishing it in a day. And I was like, so, sorry, guys. Like, I was going to make the, you know, we were all going to work <laughs> on it. But I've finished it. And we played it, you know, we released it as primetime players. And we played it part of our sets and stuff. But the guys done the same. You know, the other guys made their own tracks that were part of the, the group thing as well. So, it's you know, it wasn't like a, a one-off thing or anything. But, again, it was just one of those tracks that... um uh, yeah, the words had a lot of meaning for people, and just the you know the the music came together so organically, um, and it kind of went back to you know I'd done the whole destructive tendencies thing, and then I had a bash at making this, and yeah, I had this real kind of bouncy energy in my early lethal theory stuff, but had a bit of the power storm vibe to it as well, and that I guess that was the start of me kind of um, finding the the new Joy Riot sound it was like it still got it still sounds like essentially like me you know a lot of my tracks you can tell it's me and I, I think that's important to have yeah. your stamp on music but also like I, 
as much as you know destructive tendencies is a, a lot of racket and you know distorting kick drums and screaming and and screeching and all the rest of it like i still try to instill emotion in the breakdown i'm a musical person at heart i love trance i love you know orchestral stuff you know listen to a, a lot of that kind of music anything with emotion this is the thing about music for me it's got to instill some sort of emotion it's got to you know exude emotion when you listen to it and you know that's why i, I can't get on with pop music really because it's like it's yeah. just it's bland and uh you know I, I, i've got i've got to get either angry you know uh, and want to punch <laughs> the ball in like with gabba um because it, you know it gets rid of negative emotions or i, go, I want to cry or i want to have a big smile on my face i want goosebumps that's what music does for me it's a it's not just a, a thing you listen to because i can appreciate a good pop song and why it's catchy and you know and how well it's produced but it doesn't make me emotional and that's what i want music to do music really connects with me on an emotional level so don't know how you make you happy with that you know the the words and the lyrics and the, and the singing just it, it just the music came about it so easily and then just the drop the bouncy drop that comes out of nowhere I remember like playing it out for the first I'm just got a couple of goosebumps here, like playing it out the first time and just mm-hmm. seeing the reaction. People just you know, t- this is a thing, I think with tracks of power within and don't you ha- don't know how to make you happy. Playing them for the first time and seeing people react met crazily is just you know, I I've made a new one recently that I played at Hellfire. I'm not gonna say what it is because I've still not finished it, but I played <laughs> a version of it and that had the same reaction. I think it's gonna be the next one of those. But it was just it had a great vocal, I, you know, the emotion and the breakdown and you just see people just losing their shit on first listening. It's like, right, I've got something here. So that was, you know, a big reason I, I chose that because it, it just had and I still, you know, anytime I drop it, it gets such a big reaction. We got some great remixes done uh, by Technicore and Sway, um, who'd done a hardstyle version, they'd done, you know, another UK hardcore update, which, you know, again, just they smashed it, man. I mean, Alf is one of my favourite producers, so anytime he gets, you know, tucked into anything that I'm doing I'm, I'm just over the moon so f- for him to put his touch on it you know took it to another level and you know I even made a hybrid of both versions to play out as well I played at Westfest last year and absolutely wrecked the place so yeah, yeah it's, got, it's one of those just got a special place because of the just because of the reaction you know I, it's one of those things it's like if you believe in a track and you're feeling it in the studio and you're like oh this means a lot to me sometimes you're like that and then you play it out and it just falls f- a lot flatter than you thought it would but then sometimes you think that and then it rea- you get the reaction exactly that you wanted I mean that happens it's just like these you know magical things connecting in the stratosphere and you're like wow this is, it. This is what it's all about this is what it's all about being able to connect with an audience on some piece of art that you've created is the the ultimate thing as a as a producer and a, and a performer yeah and it's a great track and there's so much technical parts in it, it just and it's fun it's a great dance floor filler definitely and, and you got to work with people that you're friends with that you've yes. known for decades so yeah it's it was all a really good thing and you did west fest and yeah it, it's it's a good track to choose i think i think that's one that's well chosen i'm sure <laughs> yeah. there's, i'm sure there's loads of people listening to us going what about that one what about that one like i say i, cho- I chose these really quickly and i'm sure there is others I, you know I've, I've actually wrote hundreds of songs and you know there's been real key moments in my career where you know when songs you know been and i'm sure there's there's stuff i forgot about someday i'll probably write in the comments or something when i post this on my pages that'll be like oh what about that and you know I welcome hearing that because you know getting those memories 
and thinking, oh, why, why didn't I say that one? You know, because everybody chooses their own favourites, don't they? Um, yeah. And these aren't even essentially my favourites. I've got my own personal favourites, but um, but these yeah. are they're, they're they're definitely up there. But they're also like I tried to cho- chose songs that were songs I loved, but also really connected with noise and had and had like a seminal part in my life that was real, a real kind of you know juncture that i could hone in on and there wasn't just this track but it was all the experiences and and moments round about it that kind of made sense as well yeah absolutely i think that shows in the three you've chosen as well i think you've you've really chosen quite well and yeah you are right there are some songs where people will go why not that one but you the, the three you've chosen i think are really good ones that sum up your career really the the different elements of your career and who you are as joey riot as destructive tendencies as everything that you do really so yeah it's, it's all good so what does the future hold i know that you're bringing back lethal theory with the crowdfunder um, yeah well hopefully where, where does <laughs> where do you see yourself in 10 years time 20 years time <laughs> where, where do you see, see yourself going forward um well usually i do set quite quite big uh, plans ahead but you know i'm not getting any younger and i think like looking that far ahead is is not dangerous but uh, you know 10 years i mean i'd, I'd hopefully still be fit enough to be touring and stuff like that and doing you know i think what i'm kind of doing with shows now is i'm trying to make you know music that's connection i've you know really kind of honed my production skills and i've worked with all these great people that i'm trying to kind of build a brand that i can be more selective of way to play because like i said during the lockdown i've really kind of um i've got perspective on what's really important in life and you know my home life home life you know my, my girl and my dog my wee doggy who's sleeping next to me Aww. um he's just my wee, st- my wee studio <laughs> pet um like you know we do everything together he's just stuck to my side you know like that kind of th- having that and like and connecting my mates like my mates call me now like i'll just i'll stop what i'm doing and i'll pick up the phone and, and you know have a three-hour conversation like it doesn't i'm you know things that i never used to do i do now and i feel like a much more wholesome better person for it so and i think as well like i'm actually more productive because of that because i'm happier my day-to-day so um you know i do te- i do teaching as well like i've done teaching at school for a while at least last year school of music yeah and got all my teaching qualifications and stuff and now i run my own online music academy hustlemusic.pro go check that out that website hustlemusic.pro <laughs> um and also yeah hopefully relaunching the, the record label through the 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 go kickstarter campaign which is like a gofundme so yeah there's a lot of obviously moving parts to run a record label especially to be the kind of and you know up up alongside the 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 electric foxes dirty works and you know all these kind of big major labels you know there's an infrastructure i've got a great management team now who've kind of stuck through me through the the pandemic and you know these people all need paid you know there's you know the (laughs) social media there's distribution there's all the stuff i used to half arse myself i've got a professional team who are like really good at that and that's what i've kind of found out as well is like through the years is like as much as i've been this one-man band and kind of done everything I've, I've i've been you know i've done everything but not been a master of them all and you know my manager said you're good at two things really well three things you're good at you know making music you're good at teaching you know your skills and you're also good at being on stage and he's like and that's enough he's like concentrate on that we'll take care of the rest and you know we've got this really great uh you know partnership and you know his team as well he's got a big team that work for him and all these other endeavors too and they're taking a lot of the weight of all the different stuff i do so the crowdfunding thing uh, to bring back the label we just felt the time was right i want to do like to kind of this Joey Riot 2.0, the new version of me, which is like this multi-genre thing that the agency believes in and is trying to put on, you know, big stages, you know, playing, play, 
parties like Hellfire, you know, I'm playing, uh, you know, Colours Fest, you know, um, yeah. I'm playing over in Australia, a huge show, Knockout Circus, you know, big stadium show. These kind of huge parties that I always kind of wanted to do, but I'm I'm just being accepted finally for just being me, you know, I don't have to fit in a box. I can just turn up and, and be the kind of all singing, all dancing, Joey right, and everything that, that encompasses. And that's kind of what I want to do with the label. But again, it's, it's down to the people, you know, it's the people have spoken kind of thing. That was what happened to the Power Stomp album. Whereas this is, the Power Stomp album is a, not a flash in the pan, but I could try to make it more up to date and stuff like that. Whereas this is like, like we can keep this going. I, you know, we, me and my team believe that we can, we can create a label that is UK centric, but also like, you know, is, is, good enough not just musically but also um how professionally it's run they can stand amongst all the big european and you know worldwide uh you know hardstyle and edm and all these other labels that have got you know huge teams and stuff like that we, we we've got all this experience behind us and you know and all these different skills that when we bring them together we know we can do it but we need help with you know we can only do it with the our original fans like backing it and getting behind us and if they do that we, you know the sky's the limit so you know make sure you you go to the kickstarter page search uh rave riot with an x in the middle rave x riot that's the name of the album i've already started working on um and if you go to my facebook page facebook.com forward slash joy riot fan page you can see all the posts and stories and everything else that's to do with that um as we've been promoting it and yeah the daft video that i posted today which is which was uh <laughs> loads of fun to make with me and haywire we've been making you know some comical videos but that's another way to kind of flex my creative muscles just do something daft you know i love i don't try not to take myself too seriously as you know um i think that's dangerous so I've, i try to do something fun and you know and hopefully people get on board with it so yeah that's that yeah, absolutely and it's good to see you doing well and looking healthy and and feeling more healthy as well i think yes. that's a really good thing going forward it's been fantastic to have you as a guest you are an amazing guest joey oh, thank you i'm um, so interesting so interesting to listen to as well and i, I hope the listeners really get that thank you so much thank for you. sharing your three greatest beats this has been greatest beats i hope you've enjoyed the show and if you have don't forget to share and subscribe and tell your friends let them know we're here I'm Ellie, it's been great having you. Join me next time for another three greatest beats.